You are listening to the Hill Country Bible Church podcast. To learn more about Hill Country Bible Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at hcbc.com. Please enjoy today's message. Good morning. I want to welcome each of you to Hill Country Bible Church. Whether you're in person or online, we're excited to be together. And I'm curious, so by show of hands, how many would consider yourself an expert at waiting? Come on. Like, think about the opportunities stuck in traffic. And you're thinking, like, maybe I could sit here and, and wait out a quarter of a tank of gas. Like, isn't that a privilege? Don't you enjoy that? Standing in line at an amusement park while the kids are melting down, isn't that one of the joyous experiences of life? Or like being on the phone with your doctor's office? for a long, long time? Like, let's just face it, we hate waiting. We just do. As a culture, we're fast. We move. We get things done. We get going. We don't like to wait. But I wonder if you've ever considered the benefits of waiting. You realize that when it comes to something really important and really special, that our experience of joy is actually enhanced by waiting. Now, the early church understood this because the early church, in order to help their people anticipate and have joy at Christmas, they actually developed a tradition called Advent that started about four weeks before Christmas, and during that time, the early church used it as a time for prayer and fasting in anticipation of the coming of Jesus celebrated on Christmas. I mean, literally, three days a week, they would fast, they would pray. And what they were doing was they were identifying with the people in the Old Testament who had been waiting their whole life for generation after generation, and they recognized that they were in solidarity with them in their experience waiting on the coming of Jesus to enhance their celebration of Christmas, and it actually worked. Do you know how long the celebration of Christmas was in the early church? How many days they took? Let me give you a hint. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. How many days did it take? They actually celebrated Christmas from December 25th all the way to Epiphany on January 6th, 12 days of celebration. So one month of fasting and praying enhanced their joy so the celebration of Christmas was such an incredible thing. Now, we do exactly the opposite of that. Like, we don't start our fasting on Thanksgiving. We start our fasting, I mean, our diet on the day after Christmas. We start our feasting on Thanksgiving, and we eat our way all the way to Christmas morning. Like, how many of you gain weight in the week after Christmas? That's the week you go back to the gym, right? That's when you start your diet. I mean, you're fasting after Christmas. What we do is we start in December, I mean, in November on Thanksgiving, and we have the tinsel, and we have the music, and we have the lights, and the presents, and the parties, and we celebrate, celebrate, celebrate right up to Christmas Day, and Christmas Day comes, and when it's over, it's like, there's no joy Like, what was that? What was that? 
I got a lot of bills. I got a lot of people mad at me because I didn't get them what they wanted. I got some family members show up that I didn't even realize they, I had them. I mean, what happens to us is we don't wait and we don't experience the fullness of joy. Now, the early church also recognized that they were actually personally in a time of waiting because even though Jesus had already come into the world, that Jesus had not returned that they were in that period of time, the same period of time we are, when we're waiting not for Jesus' first advent, his first coming, but we're actually waiting for his second coming as well. You see, if all you have in your mind related to Jesus is the baby coming in the manger and that's the end of the story, like you have a story without an ending. The story of Jesus is not just his first coming into the world, but also his second coming. And so the early church spent a lot of time during the celebration of Advent thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ was going to return. That's the full story. And so um, our true King Jesus is going to return to establish his eternal kingdom, our forever home. That is what makes the first part of the story actually make sense. And if your Christmas consists of a baby, and that's all, you're missing out. In fact, Pastor Alan Redpath, a British pastor, said it this way. He said, the immense step from the babe at Bethlehem to the living, reigning, triumphant Lord Jesus returning to earth for his own people, that is the glorious truth proclaimed throughout the Scripture. As the bells ring out and the joy, out the joys of Christmas, may we also be alert for the final trumpet that will announce his return when he shall all, we shall always be with him. The full story of the coming of Jesus is he came and he's coming back again. So when you think about Christmas, Jesus didn't simply come to save you from something, the consequences of your sin, but Jesus also came to save you for something, eternal citizenship in his kingdom. And so today, during Advent, we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom now, some of you might be a little turned off by that because your whole life has been people chasing you around, pointing to signs and dates and trying to get you to predict and guess and all that kind of stuff. And you've heard people say, yes, yeah, he's coming this time and we got this blood moon and we got that sign in heaven and these nations and this computer chip and all of this stuff. And, and it's like it comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. We're not going to do that today at all. What I want to do today is dial into not the when, but the why. And what is so important about us focusing on the second coming of Jesus? And why was this such a big deal in the New Testament? You say, was it really a big deal in the New Testament? Because I know all the stories related to Christmas, but I don't know much about this concept of the kingdom of God and the second coming. I don't know much about that. Let me just tell you, 318 times in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, the return of Jesus Christ is mentioned. 
Literally, the kingdom of Jesus Christ that he came to establish and his return to establish that dominates the Gospels. It dominates the Gospels. And so we're going to take a little bit of time going through some of the verses. I'm not going to go through all 318. Some of you are getting nervous. I could, but I'm not going to. I'm going to give you a sampler of what happened in the teaching of the New Testament. And since I'm going to be flying through this, I would encourage you to write down some things because I'm going to give you a couple things to take home on your own and do a a little bit more study on your own. So you might want to get out your device and be ready to write down some scriptures so you can go back and study those in greater detail. And we're going to start at the first advent in Bethlehem as we start to move forward into the story. And what we find is, in his birth, Jesus was declared to be a Savior King. Jesus was declared to be a Savior King. Now, when the angel appeared to Joseph and when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they made it clear that Jesus was coming into the world to save his people from their sins, thus a Savior. But in the story of Mary and the angel coming to Mary and the Magi, the whole focus was on Jesus is coming as the king. In fact, when the angel announced Jesus coming to Mary, here's what the angel said in Luke chapter 1. He said to Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Son of the Most High, the Most High is the title for God, so he's going to be divine. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So he's going to be a king. He's going to have a kingdom. He will reign forever, an eternal kingdom, and that's pronounced at Christmas before Jesus comes. So he's going to come as a king. Now, for for many of us, we we may have a little bit of a kind of secret crush on the royals of Great Britain, and, you know, people kind of watch that stuff and, you know, kind of get into it a little bit. But generally speaking, if you grew up in the United States, you're not into kings, right? Like, we got started by getting rid of the king of England and doing our own deal. We think we the people can do it better than a king, right? And, And when you look at history, you know, there's a lot of bad kings, And so you may initially think Jesus is coming as king. Isn't that some kind of outdated monarchy thing? I just want you to pause for a minute and ask a different question. Here's the question. Do you believe that humanity has the capability, after the thousands of years that we've tried, to be able to get this right? That we're going to come up with a president or a prime minister or a system of government where like all wars cease and everybody gets along and there's perfect harmony and there's no problems in the world and there's no crime and there's no problem. Like, do you think that that's going to happen? Could we solve our problems? It's interesting that though we know the history of the attempts And the people and the governments that have come to power, we are almost insanely committed to the idea that given enough time, we're going to get it all right. And people keep thinking that. In fact, I ran across 
a really interesting article that was written by the American evangelist Billy Graham, who was probably the most important religious figure of the last part of last century and coming into this century until he passed away, really, really significant. He wrote an op-ed in the New York Times of all places, and the date is October 2nd, 1970. Now, since most of you were not born at that time, let me just add it up. That's 52 years ago. He tells about a conversation that he was having with one of the main union leaders back then, and here's what he says. He says, a couple of years ago, I was having breakfast with Walter Ruther, and Ruther said, science could bring paradise to earth by the year 2000. Man, I am so glad that we are living in paradise. So that came and went 22 years ago, and we have not solved our problems. I mean, like back in the 70s, everybody was worried about nuclear war. I remember as a kid when I had to sit under my desk with a book over my head as the little alarm went off as if if the Soviet Union sent the big ICBMs over and one landed near my little school, that that was going to protect me from a nuclear holocaust. And what's been in the news for the last couple months? Is Putin going to use a nuclear weapon? We've got new nuclear weapons. Like, we're still talking about that. Why? Because humanity is never going to fix humanity. In fact, Billy Graham goes on to say in the article, he says, I replied, there's one flaw. No one has fed into the computers the facts about man's moral weakness, his tendency toward hate, lust, greed that produce racism, crime, war, and a thousand other evils. Now, for the young people that are listening and you're thinking, my generation is going to get this right. Time Magazine picked on their cover in 1960, the man of the year was a baby because they were predicting the baby boomers were going to fix the world. Just look around at the baby boomers and go, what? (laughs) Humanity isn't going to solve humanity's problems. Think of it this way. What if we traded in all of our presidents, all of our prime ministers, all of our dictators, all of our forms of government, and in its place, we had Jesus Christ, the all-loving, all-wise, all-powerful God, actually giving leadership to the human race. That's when paradise is going to come. And that's what the angel was saying Jesus was born into the world to do, to be a king who would establish his reign, and that reign would last forever. Now, that wasn't just in the life of Jesus, or in the birth of Jesus. We see that also in his life. Um, In Jesus' ministry, Jesus actually declared that his mission was a kingdom. 
Like he came and when you study his teaching, you're going to see he talked about the kingdom all the time. In fact, early on in his ministry, he said this, but I, I, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I came to preach the message of a coming kingdom that he was going to establish. Now, now here's an assignment for you to consider. I would consider you just to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and every place you see the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven mentioned, just underline that. Now, for those of you who are not planning to do that, let me just give you the cliff notes. It's 92 times. Like, in the life of Jesus, 92 times he's referencing the kingdom of God, literally dominates his teaching. And so, Jesus is putting it out there. Toward the end of his ministry, he says this, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. Jesus is saying, there's coming a time when I'm going to come in my Father's glory. In other words, you're not going to simply see me as the one walking around the earth in this natural body. You're going to see me glorified in my resurrection body, and I'm going to be coming with the angels, and I'm going to bring about the end of the world. And there, I'm going to roll out my plan. So that's what Jesus taught, and really significant to get that. Now, let me also say that um, when it comes to this, understanding the end, that we're actually waiting for a coming kingdom, will profoundly impact the way we live right now. And it had a big impact on the disciples. Um, so, you're curious, like, did the disciples hear this, and when they heard it, what did they think about? Maybe the same thing you're thinking about. Maybe the same thing you hear about a lot. Well, when, when is all this going to happen? In fact, Jesus was talking to him one day. And um, let me go, go ahead. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and they said, Tell us. They said, When will this happen? So they understood it was going to happen. And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Like Jesus had said this so many times to them, like they're wondering, like, When is it going to happen? They wanted to know. Now, they were interested in the when, Jesus is interested in the why. So for those of you who are interested in what's going to happen, I'm going to give you your second assignment. The Bible lays this out in great detail. It's called the book of Revelation. Some of you would say, I've tried to read that before and it's pretty hard to understand. So I'm going to give you a cheater course. Twice I preached through the book of Revelation here at Hill Country Bible Church. My latest time was in 2016. And if you go to this link, hcbc.com revelation, you can listen to all 16 of those messages. And for those of you who are saying, am I going to give you the cliff notes on that? No. There is no cliff notes. You want to know what's going to happen in the future? How the end is going to come about and what's going to happen? Go study the book of Revelation. Very, very significant, very, very clear. Now, one of the things that Luke's, Luke tells in the, in the book of Acts is that after Jesus rose from the dead, he not only appeared to his disciples to show them that he was alive, to validate that he was alive. He actually appeared to over 500 people to show he was alive, but he also spent 40 days with them teaching them about the kingdom. 
So things that they couldn't understand that he taught them before the resurrection, after the resurrection, he lays it all out. And that's why in the New Testament we can see this explanation of the kingdom that they got from Jesus. He explained it all to them. But like us, what was it that they were interested in? Watch what happens in the book of Acts. So when they were together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking a when question again. And Jesus' response to them is this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but here's what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is telling them is there's going to be a gap between the resurrection and his return. And there's a reason for the gap. The reason for the gap is so that his followers would receive the power of the Holy Spirit with the message that you can have life in Jesus' name to go out to the very ends of the earth to all people on the planet and give them an opportunity to understand who Jesus is, to believe in him, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to receive him into their life so that they too could be citizens of the kingdom. That's what we're doing in the waiting period is ensuring that people have a chance to know and Jesus has delayed his return so that we could be involved in this incredible mission to be able to bring the good news to people on the planet. Some of you would say, well, like, I wish he'd quit waiting. Like, I'm ready for it to happen right now. Well, you know, generations before you felt the same way. Like, I wish it would happen. What if it would have happened? Guess where you'd be? You wouldn't be here, right? You would have never been born. I'm actually kind of glad that he's delayed a couple thousand years because I'm here and I'm going to have a chance to experience his kingdom because he delayed. And I also have four grandkids and one on the way. And I want all of them to be with me in the kingdom. And so the delay, the waiting can actually enhance our joy if we understand why Jesus is waiting so that we have a chance to help other people experience and come into the kingdom and enjoy his eternal reign after. Now, the question is, did the disciples now dial into this purpose and go out and spread the gospel? And the answer to that is they absolutely did. They started taking the gospel throughout their communities, beyond their communities, out to the ends of the earth. And we come to a New Testament letter written to a group of people that live in the city of Thessalonica, which is in northern Greece. So think from Jerusalem to northern Greece, they hear the message and they embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes a letter to them telling them, you guys are a model. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, here's what he says about this group of people. He says, and so you became the model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which is Macedonia is northern Greece, Achaia is southern Greece. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. 
Like their, their reputation has just gone out everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. So what does that look like? He goes on to say, they tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In other words, what they did was they made a pivot when they understood who Jesus is, that he is the Savior King, and they put their trust in him. They made this big pivot from serving the cultural icons, the idols of their culture, which are not that different from the idols in our culture, success and significance and approval and attention and all of those things that we can give so much of our energy to attain, they turned from those being their primary focus and they turned to the living God, the living and true God. God, we want to follow you. We make you the priority of our lives. We listen to what you have to say about how to live. He goes on to say this, and to wait for his son from heaven. Interesting. So the focus of the future didn't become the successes that the culture deems If you've arrived as an American or a Thessalonican, you'll have this, you'll be able to do that, you'll be able to go there, you'll feel this way, you'll experience it. They put their focus on Jesus is coming back and we're waiting for him to come back and that now dominates the priorities in our life. To wait for his son from heaven, how do we know he's coming back? Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, the proof in Christianity that what Jesus said about himself, what he said about God, what he says about the world and the future, how do we know that? Because of the miracle of the resurrection that establishes that Jesus is real, he is telling the truth, and so they believe the miracle of the resurrection And so they're waiting for Jesus, and why? Who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's coming a day when God is going to hold humanity accountable for our sin. The brokenness of this world, God's going to deal with. And I know every single one of you at some point along the way wrestled with the question, God, why are you letting us happen? Why are you letting this happen? Most of the time what we ought to be saying is, God, why are you letting us do these things? The reality is, is that Jesus is a God who's going to come back in justice and hold us accountable, hold the human race accountable for our sin, and he's going to eliminate evil from the planet. When he eliminates evil from the planet, he will establish his kingdom where he remakes the world in a perfect environment, and he sets up a perfect kingdom I want you to think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's coming a day when you are going to walk on a planet that's been completely restored into nature that's pristine, that has no curse in it. You're going to be inhabiting 
a soul and a life, given a perfect body that is eternal in nature, that doesn't have the aches and pains and struggles, you're going to be a perfect soul that never struggles with the darker side of the things you struggle with yourself. Think about what your brain will be capable of thinking and doing when sin is removed, ulterior motives are gone. Think about the relationships you'll have with others when they walk in righteousness and live that way as well. Think about when earth and heaven are united as Eric talked about in the message a couple weeks ago, when earth and heaven are united, you actually have access to God himself, an audience with the being that created everything in perfect love. If you were a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of that kingdom. Now tell me, how does that change what you think is important? How does that change what you think is important? Little girl coming out of her Sunday school class on Sunday morning found out that Jesus is coming back and he could come back at any time. And so she said to her mom, Mom, do you believe that Jesus could come back this year? And her mom said, well, yeah, I guess so. And she said, do you believe Jesus could come back this week? And her mom says, well, yeah, he could. And she said, today? And her mom says, okay, yeah, yeah, he could come back today. Like, could he come back in the next 10 minutes? And her mom, kind of getting frustrated, said, well, you know, theoretically, yes, he could come back in the next 10 minutes. And she looked up at her mom and she said, mom, would you comb my hair? Like, if Jesus is coming back, I want to look my best. Out of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of babes. If it, if it makes you feel like things would need to change in your life to be ready to meet Jesus on his return right now, my encouragement to you is if you are looking forward to your future in the kingdom, that you would go ahead and start making those changes right now because it's coming. Jesus is going to return. And this group of people, this church, these guys said, like, we want to wait. we're waiting for him. That's our focus. That's our priority. And so we find that in his return, Jesus will banish evil and will restore his creation. That's what we're waiting for. In his return, Jesus is going to remove the world of evil and restore his creation, restore humanity, restore the kingdom, and that makes a difference in the way we wait. In fact, it's very significant because when you're waiting for something important, you have a sense of the journey that you're on. In other words, destination often determines the way we travel on the journey. And there are two major things that should shape our lives today based on the fact that Jesus is going to come back and our expectation of his kingdom that's coming. Two very important and very powerful things. First of all, understanding our destination. 
the kingdom of God, it gives us the ability to put this life into proper perspective. It gives us the ability to put this life into proper perspective. How many times have you struggled when something bad has happened to you or somebody that you love and you're thinking, I just can't make sense out of this. Maybe you had a setback and you're thinking, I thought I did everything right and then this is falling apart. And maybe some of you have had the rug pulled out from under you by people that you thought you could trust. And maybe that happened when you were a child and you're still reeling from the distrust and brokenness of life. Maybe you've succeeded wildly at something that you worked for for years thinking only that when I get there, I will be happy only to get there and feel like the day after Christmas. Well, that's a letdown. I mean, I think one of the hardest things to deal with personally is to succeed wildly and to not find any satisfaction in our success or it momentarily give us a high and then it goes away. Like how many years did you work for that? How many tears did you shed for that? How many late nights did you burn the candle at both ends? And this is all? That's the nature of the broken world we live in. Dreams don't come true. Fairy tales don't exist. There is no happy ending. None of us gets through this life without scars. But knowing that we're simply on the journey. This place was never meant to be heaven on earth. We were never meant to fulfill all of our dreams. This place could never give you what your heart longs for. It'll always end up short. Knowing that, that something on the other side is actually what your heart was made for, that kingdom of God. And when that comes, when you reach that destination, it gives you the ability to put the hardships of this life into perspective. Doug Goins was a middle school boy who lived on a street that four houses down, an elderly woman in her 90s was living. And so um, Doug's family got to know this woman and used to go over and help her. And she had this incredibly interesting story. So her story was that she was a hymn writer. In fact, she wrote somewhere between 70 and 80 Christmas songs, over 500 hymns she wrote, but you'd have never known it for where she was at that point in time in her life. And as Doug and his family began to kind of unpack the story of Helen Lemel, they started like hearing this wild story. Gifted musician, gifted singer, gifted piano player, organist, like off the charts in her creativity, unbelievable. She was touring Europe as a young woman singing and playing where she met royalty and married a guy who came from royalty, the fairy tale life. And then she contracted a disease that initially started to take her sight and eventually she went completely blind. Her husband, not wanting to be married to a blind woman, dumped her. She became destitute, 
ended up moving to Seattle, lived in a house that was government subsidized, and she spent her time playing a plastic keyboard for children that the literal plastic keys, and I'm not talking about a MIDI, I'm talking about a kid's toy, the keys would make the sound of a chord when she hit them, and she spent her time alone playing that plastic keyboard and singing and crying. Now, she had songs that were just coming up and coming up and coming up, so she would call Doug's dad at all the hours of the night to come over because she'd written the lyrics in her head, but she couldn't write it down. She'd written the music in her head, but she couldn't write it down, so she'd call him in and make him put it all on paper. And she said her greatest hope was the day when she would get to play the pipe organ of heaven. So they'd ask her, how you doing? And her response was consistent. I'm doing good in the things that count. I'm doing good in the things that count. And then she would say, I can't wait to be home. Her most famous song, many of you would know. She wrote, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. She couldn't see across the room, but she could see Jesus. And everything in this life that was supposed to turn out differently grew strangely dim because the destination is the kingdom. And she was able to be joyful in a broken life. When you focus on the kingdom, it actually changes your perspective on how you live here. That's the first benefit. The second benefit is knowing what we are waiting for. It also gives us motivation to invest in people. Think about what's important to you. That software program you're writing, the house you're decorating, the number of people that are following you, that six-pack that you work so hard to maintain, every single one of those things is temporary. In fact, most of what we spend our effort on at Christmas is finding out how how to buy gifts for people so they'll be happy with what we have. And we know from early childhood that those gifts end up getting kicked aside and the kids play in the boxes. And adults do the same thing. Oh, yeah, you got the Lexus, and it's good for about a year and a half, and then it's old. That's what the things of this world actually are, and none of them will convey into the next life. You're not taking any of those things with you into the kingdom. But there is one thing that actually is eternal, and that is people. People matter because people are eternal. And so 
to have an ability to understand that the people around you actually are eternal beings and to invest your life in the individuals that God's placed around you, you're doing something that has a kingdom impact. You're taking people with you on your journey into the kingdom. Being able to see the future changes everything. So Heidi Baker ministers to the poor in Mozambique. And um, as she was like a Christian ministering to the poor, the, the place of the greatest poverty is the dump, the city dump where all the, the refuge is taken. And that's where the orphaned and the alienated children end up because with no one to take care of them, the only resources they have are the stuff that they can dig up and find in the dump. And so that's where they live, massive community living in the dump. And one day she said, I had this dream and here's what she dreamed. She said, I saw the wedding feast of the lamb, and there were huge long tables laid out with the most beautiful food I have ever seen. I heard my Lord say, wake up, church, wake up. The feast is about to begin. The poor have not yet been called. My house is not yet full. I want my house to be full. She said, then I saw the Lord Jesus dancing on the garbage dump, and I was with him, and he called. The children and youth began to follow and dance together with us, and together Jesus and I would stop and touch them. Their bloated bellies would become flat. Their infected wounds healed. Their hair turned brown by malnutrition would become black and shiny, and he put beautiful garments on them of purple and blue and gold and silver. He led them out of the dump and into the wedding feast, and he said, you sit in front. And the hungry children from the garbage dump came and sat at the head table. And then she says, I've worked in that garbage dump ever since, and many hundreds of children and youth have met the Lord and are being fed physically and with spiritual bread. Seeing a vision of the children dancing and sitting at the tables in heaven motivated her and now she is in the garbage dump rescuing children not so that they could grow up and simply have a better life. Because we are eternal creatures. She's rescuing them for eternity. We have this thought that there are things that we can do to make a big difference in the world. And so, it, we get these ideas in our mind, like if I go start, start GoFundMe pages for people that are having problems and load those up so people will give to them, or if I give to them, or maybe if I go in the voting booth and pull the lever for the right group, that like those things will change the world. Well, I can't start my own nonprofit right now because I'm in this stage of life, but if I could finally start a nonprofit, then I could make a difference in what Jesus is telling us is no, don't wait. Go get to know your neighbors. Love the people around you. Love the people you work with, the people you go to school with. Start investing in your family. Just bring love, Jesus, the good news to the people around you. Just go do something. Now, none of those other activities are bad, but oftentimes 
we substitute stuff that only matters in this life for investing in people that are going to live for eternity. I don't know about you. There's a whole bunch of people that I want to see in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus knew this would be hard. The waiting would be hard. Dealing with the cultural pressures, even our own sin nature, like this would be a hard thing. And so Jesus did something very profound. He gave us something special and told us to keep doing this often enough so that we would remember what's most important. And that thing he gave us is the Lord's table or communion infused with meaning about now and about the future. So I'm going to invite you to pick up your communion elements, little cup there. Let's stand together. And for those of you joining us at home, pick up your communion elements. And I want us to stop and remember what Jesus did with his disciples and what he said. During the meal, he took the bread, he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, my flesh, my life, given in suffering and pain and death, given, broken for you. Remember me. And then Jesus picked up that cup of wine at the table. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. In other words, I'm going to shed my blood to secure for you an eternal place in my Father's kingdom. I'm making a covenant with you that doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is open up your heart to me and believe in me. I'm making that deal with you. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this cup and remember me. And then he told his disciples this. He said, guys, I'm not going to eat this bread and drink this cup with you until when? Until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, is that every time you remember what he did for your salvation, be reminded that you were saved for something Not just the removal of sin, but citizenship in the eternal kingdom of God. And there's going to be a day when you pick up that cup in the kingdom and you raise that cup up and you look around and you'll see the people that you brought with you to the kingdom, family and friends and neighbors and co-workers, people that you yourself shared that good news with. And you'll see those people's faces. But the face that will matter the most is Jesus will have his cup raised too. And you'll see his face 
and together we'll toast with our king in his kingdom. Jesus said, remember, this is coming. I want you there. Bring people along because this is the real show. This is what you've been waiting for your whole life. Don't miss it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you that you sent your son into the world. Thank you for Christmas. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for a promise. You're coming back. I pray that everybody that's listening today would be there to look into the face of Jesus Christ as he smiles and says, I got you here, didn't I? And we say, yeah, it took a long time, but it was worth the wait. Our joy is complete. Thank you, Father, for telling us that this is your plan. May we walk in it today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To hear other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at hcbc.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Hill Country Bible Church Podcast.